Adam, I took jump lessons from today's guest when I was a kid. And that didn't help. It's showtime. This is The Ski Show, the ultimate show ski podcast, bringing you news, knowledge, in-depth interviews with legends and stars of our sport, and a little bit of fun. Here are your hosts, Matt Heilman and Adam Schaller. Welcome to the Ski Show, the number five ranked podcast in the water sports genre. That's right, Adam. We were just named the number five water sports related podcast out of dozens of podcasts that exist across all water sports. Number five. Pretty exciting stuff. Today's episode features a show skiing, freestyle jumping, professional legend, one of the best to ever do it. We are honored to have Hank Amos on the show today. Today's episode is sponsored by Flyman Skis, custom-made jump skis and featherboard swivel skis at affordable prices. Get yours at flymanskis.com. And by The Board Shop, all the summer and winter board sports gear you need is yours at bswake.com. And by the Lake Lovers Club. If you love the lake like we do, support their efforts and join the Lake Lovers Club by following them on Instagram at Lake Lovers Club and checking out their gear at lakeloversclub.com. Time for a little recap of the City of Lakes tournament held last weekend in Warsaw, Indiana. It started Friday night with a Buck Up tour stop. First place in the Buck Up was Pete Haggerty. Second place, Ethan Shoulder. Third place, Carter Buckman in a stacked lineup that also included Cody Coffey, Jordan Long, Derek Buckman. Freaking great lineup. There's also a girls' division they call the Doe Up. And taking home the gold there was Grace Petzold. She edged out the likes of Bria Imsey, Kayla Coffey, Kaylee Kohler, and our very own Presley Cup, who competed. What did you think of the Buck Up, Adam? It was my first Buck Up event that I attended, and so it was the Friday night before we skied on Saturday as a team, and I'm like, it started at 7. I'm like, and I looked at the lineup, I'm like, man, we're going to be here. They have lights. We're going to be here all night. But so impressed by how well run that tournament was uh, and just how they can get through all those skiers and just no downtime, just fun to watch and super impressed by the girls, every single one of them. Uh, making helis, and a couple of them trying front flips. I mean, just, ah, it was awesome. It was awesome. You're right. Uh, Carter and Derek have figured out uh, these tournaments. They run them really well. The guys uh, know their stuff. They they, uh, work quickly. Driving is always great, and uh, they they clip along. The jumping talent was out of this world. Guys going for the ball. Uh, Pete Haggerty, you know, back half, front half, uh, he won it. Uh, Ethan made a one-ski mob. Cody Coffey with a signature two-ski front over the ball. Uh, just uh, really good stuff. Great talent all around. Yeah, fun to watch. You know, and then Saturday and Sunday were the main team competition. There were seven teams that competed, including Mad City, our team, Rock Aqua Jays, Aquanuts, Lake City Skiers, and a few others. Uh, good, good tournament. Yeah, 
Uh, well run. Lake City does a fantastic job. Uh, might be my favorite site. Just it's just great. It's just awesome the way they have it set up. And yeah, the, you know, like the pros and cons. You talk about you know the size of a site being limiting, but the pros of it of calm water and and no current and um you know the the beach and stage are great they got a kicker in place like uh their dock setup all worked great uh we enjoyed it and it was great preparation because the tournament at nationals d1 nationals is in warsaw so we went down there wanting to do some preparation get site familiarity get our drive team on there getting used to it we had a bang up show we only had four falls in our show uh we took third place the Aquanuts also had a super clean show. They took second, and the Rock Aqua Jays uh, with their Color Rush show, uh, they took first. Um, and it was it was really great to see uh, all the teams out of the gate uh, bringing it. It was that was fun. Yeah, another advantage of that site it's a shorter show course, uh, which ultimately ends up you know teams are banging out fifty minute shows. Yeah, and it just so it just enhances flow, and it's it it's fun. Yep. Time for our Tips In segment, sponsored by the Lake Lovers Club, the coolest of all the lake lifestyle apparel brands. The crew behind the Twin Lakes Corn Fest created Lake Lovers Club to encourage, educate, and empower our community to preserve the lake lifestyle we love so that future generations can enjoy it too. The funding for Lake Lovers Club initiatives, including lake cleanups, educational materials, and more, comes through the sale of their easygoing and soft premium tees and other high-quality lake lifestyle merchandise like party bumpers for your boat. Think of these guys as the salt life for your lake lifestyle. Yeah, and we when we say soft premium tees, I can tell you firsthand that these are the softest, most comfortable tees in my collection. If you love the lake like we do, support their efforts and join the club by following them on Instagram, at Lake Lovers Club and checking out their gear at lakeloversclub.com. They're hooking up all of our loyal listeners with 10% off your first order using the code SKISHOW10. That's all one word, SKISHOW, and then the number 10. They're an awesome team doing great things for our community. Get yourself to lakeloversclub.com and show them some support. So today's tip is about tournament prep for your team. You know, some competed in an early season tournament. This coming weekend is the Southern Regional. We're getting into regional season. And so what we wanted to give a few tips to help teams prepare for a tournament. First step is kind of that lead up to the tournament, right? That last week or two where you're really grinding your final shows, your final practices. You might throw in an extra show run through in there. And that's the time to start dialing in your show. I'm an advocate of giving some time in that couple weeks prior uh, for introductions and dances. We sometimes forget about that. We're working so hard in our skiing, we forget about the stage portion, and that's the free points, right? Like Jeff Hankey says, the winter points. The And you got to budget time leading up to a tournament to dial in your introductions and your dances. Yeah, it's, you know, taking... You know, whether you take an hour after ski practice or, you know, if you got a crappy weather night and you spend some time kind of dialing those in for all your intros for your acts. But then even as, as things progress, you have ski practice. You know, it's not a bad idea if you can have your announcer there and, you know, you're practicing ending pyramid and it comes back to the beach. Do the intro mm-hmm. when everybody gets back to the beach because it's all about repetition. 
Yeah, and it only takes 15 extra seconds to do the intro before you run off to your next act, so just yep. do it. You know, the other portion of the lead-up that I tend to be a proponent of is I like to to try to get as big as we can and as difficult as we can in the weeks leading up, but then the week the week prior to the tournament, we got to start dialing back and the focus becomes on execution. So we, we try to do as much as we can, but at the end of the day, the uh, uh, the number one factor is that execution is more important than difficulty. You've got to stand up your show because so many things go are better when you stand up your show. Your flow is better. Your boat driving points are better. Your pickup boat driving points are better. Uh, and so I'm always sound all better. All of it. So uh, yes, there's some risk reward you have to weigh out in your scoring and in the acts you put on the water. But I'm always an advocate of, uh, come tournament time, trimming back a little bit so that you execute. And finally, uh, regarding tournament prep, is that day of, that that pre-show meeting and figuring out a few things. And there's some things that uh, some teams do better than others, but just tips we want to, reminders we want to give teams. One is making sure you got 20-minute setup and 10-minute teardown covered. Who's doing what job? Who's on backdrop? Who's on sound? Who's on stage? Who's setting up pyramid? Who's getting the skis to the back dock? Covering every job in your 20-minute setup so it goes quick. And and we did that really well at the City of Lakes. We assigned the jobs. We were set up in like seven minutes, and then we could get to our places, let the water calm out uh, and settle down a little bit before we started. The other piece is planning contingencies. And there's there's two types of contingencies. Uh, one is if you know your show is, let's say you got a 50-minute show, you can be planning for what if we have a catastrophe and want to rerun something? We want to rerun a ballet line because they all get pinned or a prefab because it all falls. Do we have time? Make plans for that in advance. Where are the ropes coming from? Are we re-rolling ballet ropes during the show having those conversations in advance to prepare for that contingency. On the flip side is if you think your show might be too long is planning for what the end of your show looks like. Yep. Do we cut down our intros? Do we, uh, what, where are we trimming down? How are we preparing for a, a tight squeeze at the end of the show? And I think we've talked about this before, and, and that comes down, again, it's repetition. It comes down to timing, knowing how long the different portions of the end, the end of your show are. Like, how long does it take to do boat intro, get through all the different intros, and then have different versions of that? Like, okay, mm-hmm. we've got a minute left, so I can I can do just, uh, it's the Mad City Drive team, and then I go right to show directors, and then I go right to final wave. Yep. So you have different versions of the of the the latter portion of your show that you can run through, like version one, version two, version three, all different times so yeah so best of luck to everyone as you prepare for tournament season good luck to all those skiers of the central regional this weekend and and all the regionals coming up and hopefully you guys uh, can take away a couple of tips from this week's tips in time to get to our featured interview he was a professional water skier world record holder freestyle jumper he is a stunt man and a stunt coordinator who has been in over a hundred movies some of the biggest of all time that have grossed a total of $27 billion, billion, billion dollars at the box office. This guy has experienced a lot, and we are honored to have him on the show today. Let's get to our interview with Hank Amos. 
Well, we are here. Finally, we've been talking about this, Adam, with the one and only Hank Amos. Hank, how are you? Thanks for being on the show. Welcome to the show. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that intro, but I'm doing great, Matt. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, so on the front end of our episode, we we highlighted some of your accolades, and you are water ski legend, show skiing, oh, freestyle jumping, all the things, turned stuntman, movie star, and we can't wait to talk about all of it because uh, you've been around places, you've met people, you've had experiences, and we're looking forward to it. I'm I'm excited to catch up because I literally think it's been since the early 90s. I yep. think you saw that picture we posted from uh, my buddies and I, Dave Raisin and Todd Whipperfirth and Josh oh, Cole, yeah. and yeah. Uh, uh, we all came down and were taking lessons from you, freestyle jump lessons in the early 90s, and it's been a long those time. Were the, so. Those were the greatest days when you boys would come down and we would just have at it for a week. Um, it was the greatest days of my life. Ah, so fun. So great yep. memories for us. Our families would all come down and uh, we just, you know, we'd make the trek to Winter Haven and that was so much fun. So yeah, man. Well, great thank times. you for having me. You got it. So take us back. We got to talk about kind of where you got started, at least for our listeners. What What's cool about this episode is uh, you were heavily involved in skiing and then you left skiing. You started this stunt career and a lot of uh, Showski, our Showski listeners know who you are, knew who you were, wants to get caught up with Hank Amos. And I think this is so cool that we can get caught up on your life and share with people your story. What Take us back to when you started. How'd you get into skiing? How'd you get into show skiing? Take us back a little bit. Okay. So I, I'm just going to, without becoming too philosophical here, I'm going to just say that I'm not an incredibly religious person, but I am deeply spiritual and there must be a higher power, right? Because for some unknown reason, a water ski team planted a ski jump on my lake where my mom owned a summer camp and I was 12 years old. I'll never forget it. I was watching these guys and girls do these incredible feats of just, I mean, watching the freestyle jumpers back then. I don't know if you remember a guy named Terry McCannisby. Terry McCannisby was one of the first guys. He didn't ski for a pro ski show. You know, he didn't ski for the Gardens or SeaWorld or Bartlett's, but he was on the pro tour. And he, he was literally an amateur show skier that was still making it on the pro tour back then. And I, got, I saw this guy doing flips and gainers off the jump. I'll never forget. I was 12 years old. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to do that. And anyway, back to the point. So I just by the grace of God, uh, I met the ski team. They they started doing shows on my lake where my mom owned a summer camp, and they kind of took me in. There were no kids on the ski team. Um, it was all you know older people and and, and couples. But there what were team no kids. was that? This was George's Ski and Social Club. All now right. I don't know if that if that rings a bell <laughs> with anybody. This was this was pre uh, uh, U.S. Water Ski Show team. This was yeah. pre Tampa Bay. This was the original show skiing show team from from florida there right and it was just such a great um uh just a group of skiers and and people and they literally just took me in like i was their their foster kid and i was just enamored i couldn't get enough you know i started jumping when i was 12 by the time i was 14 i was doing front flips 15 i was making gainers and 
and barefooting and just all these things. And back then when I was growing up, Matt, freestyle jumping was, was as ex- extreme as you could get in water skiing. There was no wakeboarding, you know, uh, there, there was none of this other stuff like freestyle jumping was it in terms of if you want to go crazy on skis, that's what you're doing. And so naturally I just gravitated towards that. You know, I was an out of control kid and full ADD or whatever they call it these days. I don't even know, (laughs) but, uh, and, and yeah. And so I started with Georgia ski and social club, which later morphed into the U S water ski show team, which I think now is Tampa. I, I, I don't know, but I was just so lucky to have that just literally dropped in my lap. And to have such wonderful people that were willing to take me in and teach and help and coach me. So were you at George's when they skied at the nudist colony? Oh yes. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna tell you a quick story, right? So so I joined the club. So I, I'll tell you actually how I heard this story. What and, and we'll we'll talk about him in a minute, but I heard this story from Gary Stout. Yeah. Uh, I had a chance to catch up with him uh, a few months ago and he got me up to speed on the whole history of George's and, and where he started. And he talked all about the nudist colony. And, and oh, so I wanted to boy. ask you about it. <laughs> okay. So imagine the hopes and dreams of a now 13 year old Hank. When my ski team tells my mom, Hey, we got a, we got a gig. We're doing a water <laughs> ski show, but it's at a nudist colony. Are you okay with that? And my mom's <laughs> like, uh, okay, go ahead. You know, but so I get the go ahead, right? So 13 years old, the hormones are kicking, you know, uh, you know, every, every, everything is, is firing up. The testosterone starting to fire. And so I'm so excited. So we pull up to this, these massive gates on this nudist colony. It's called uh, Paradise, right? And I'm like, I can't wait. And I'm sitting in the back seat with my two, my two best bros, Tim and Eddie Miller, that were on the ski team. And their mom's driving us. And I, in my mind, I'm fantasizing, you know, all these amazing things. So we pull into the nudist colony. First, first thing I see, boys, is the tennis courts. And there, hold on, hold on. And there are two, I'm taught, if they weren't 80 years old, I'd be shocked. Two, two 80-year-old women with nothing on but tennis shoes. And boys, when I say, when I say that, and it was not not what I had envisioned. That's an understatement. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. So I can tell you this, that what you see at a news colony probably isn't what you what you want to see. Yeah. No, you're thinking, I'm going to see all these hot women, and you oh, walk yeah, up thinking, and see yeah. the tennis court Play with boy. the 80-year-old lady. Oh, yeah, dude. And it was like wet sand in a tube sock, fellas. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Just horrific. But yeah, we had some some great times out there. You know, we all handled ourselves with class and candor, and you know. But it, seriously, again, back to part of being on on the show team was I was I was uh, introduced to a lot of circumstances where you know I had to learn some life lessons, and one of the life lessons that I learned there was that these people, this is what makes them feel good, this is what they do in their free time, and we need to respect that, and that was. That was kind of driven into us before we got there. And so, I, you know, just the whole course of my show skiing career, guys, I didn't just learn how to flip and barefoot and all those things. I learned a lot of life lessons like respect for people, um, how to how to be a part of a team, how to uh, get along with people, because, you know, there's a little bit of politics in show skiing. 
you know, just all these life lessons that came along with being part of this club. And it was the greatest days of my life. That's awesome. That's show skiing in a nutshell right there. What you just said. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Where did you go from Georgia's? So I was struggling through high school. Um, I tested off the charts uh, in IQ. I was placed in gifted classes and I couldn't be bothered to go to school. I hated it. Um, Sitting in a classroom and being told what to do and when to do it, I just, I couldn't do it. And again, I hate to keep relating this back to water skiing, but it's the only reason why I ever made it out of school because my mom said, hey, look, if you don't start making grades, you can't go ski with the ski team. And I was like, oh my God, what? She's gonna, she's literally, she said, at least no skis, no C's, no skis. And she was only asking me to be average in school. But that was the impetus. The only reason that I ever made it through school was because of water skiing. So long story short, when I was 16 years old, I had the opportunity to go and ski for SeaWorld. Okay. Now I'm a 16 year old kid. I've never been out of the house. And a dear friend of mine, John Summers, who you guys might know, um, he said, Hey, look, I can get you a job at SeaWorld of Texas. It's the opening season. Um, but we need you to come out right now. And I had about a month left of high school and I knew, I, I knew I was failing. I, I couldn't, you know, so I, I went to my Dean and I said, Hey, look, I have a chance to go in and ski in a professional water ski show. It's all I ever wanted to do. Will you guys let me off the hook and I can come back and finish school next year? And they said, absolutely. So bless his heart. John Summers took me out to SeaWorld of Texas um, when I was 16 years old. And I got to ski with some incredible people, Danny Stewart, Sean Sargent, um, and all these amazing guys. And that, that summer um, was, it changed the course of my life, right? I, I learned a lot about being a man. I had to grow up real quick. Um, I went out there cocky and so sure of myself, and that was knocked out of me really quick. <laughs> and it was just a really amazing summer because I learned so much. And then I came back and I finished school and went back and started skiing pro full time. But, uh, yeah, 16 years old, I, I was doing eight shows a day at SeaWorld of Texas and loving every second of it. Where, so after SeaWorld, did you go to the gardens then? What was kind of the, the trek in your, your early 20s, you know, your late teens, early 20s? I, I did, I did. So while I was skiing at SeaWorld, um, I was really fortunate. Um, I started really picking up on the freestyle thing. And SeaWorld started sponsoring me to go away on the pro tours. So during the week, I'd do the shows. And on the weekend, SeaWorld would fly me out to whatever respective tour stop there was. Um, and so I did that for three years, I think, with SeaWorld, and my time there had kind of run its course. You know, there wasn't a lot going on. They were starting to go seasonal, so that meant that if you wanted to ski there, you're skiing, you know, just during the summer, and then you're getting laid off. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to move back to Florida. I started skiing at Cypress Gardens, um, and I think that was like 92 or 93. Um, and so that, that was when I headed back to Florida and kind of was lucky enough to do the same thing. The gardens had a team of skiers, my, myself, Gino Yockler, Zane Schwank and Dave daughter that they would sponsor and, and send us all to the tour on the weekends. And so, uh, you know, I just feel really blessed. Like what, what an amazing opportunity, you know, to, to be able to ski for a living and get paid and then have the sponsorship to go and, and take it to the next level on the pro tour on the weekends. 
tell us a little bit about give us some pro tour stories we've heard we've heard a few from, from oh, some people boy. but man it just sounds like it was uh you know hot summer nights right it was guys <laughs> i mean some some of the stories i'm i'm gonna just leave for the the memory banks but uh we used to have such an incredible time and i could tell you this so the transition into my stunt career was easy because those rental cars that we rented on the pro tour, that was the beginning of my stunt training. (laughs) I turned some rental cars back in and I I apologize for all the younger listeners here, guys do not do this. I'm not condoning it, but oh man, we, me and Reinhardt and, and, and daughter, we would take these, these rental cars out and just, I mean, hand them back in and the rental car agency would look at us like what are, what are you serious you there's no way you can you're not giving us this car back like that and i was like sorry i went through a mud puddle i, I don't know what happened <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh no it was just such a good time there was a lot of pranks going on you know i'd i'd come out you know to get ready to to go down to the ski site and my entire car would be just nothing but hot dogs and shaving cream and whatever else people could just plaster on the car, you know? So if I was when ever you, late to a, yeah, I was gonna say, when you joined the tour, were you the young cocky guy? I was. Yep. Yeah. Back then I, I was the young gun. I think when I got on the tour, I think I was 18 years old. Yeah, I was 18 and you know, I'm skiing against, uh, Scotty Clack and Mike Tolzman and, and, uh, Dave Reinhardt, Dave daughter, um, and, and guys like that. So Schmick. yeah, I was kind of the, the young gun. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know if Schmick was on the tour then. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, who coached you? It, like, I mean, being so young, who, like, who, where did you get it from? I mean, cause watching videos of you, man, I mean, it's just, you are, it's amazing to watch. We still, we still, so Hank, let me, let me tell you, we still talk to, we talked to freestylers today. There's a, awesome new pro tour today rocking it that's reinvigorated freestyle jumping and people talk about you being the most technically beautiful freestyle jumper they've ever seen and uh so like where did that come from to adam's question what where did that come from Is that were there natural gifts or did you have mentors and coaches or there someone you modeled yourself after i first of all that that's one of the most humbling things i've ever heard like i i I really appreciate that. Um, I tried really, really hard to be as clean as possible because to me, it was judged. It was it was judged on form, right? So it was like diving, and I knew that to set myself apart and to to set myself to the next level. A lot of us were doing all the same tricks, but if I could do them and just look more stylish and and stick the landings a little bit more and you know, just have a little bit more finesse that that was what was going to elevate me. And so I was really lucky when I was skiing at SeaWorld. Um, there was a guy who's still a dear friend of mine. His name's Mike Crandall. And uh, we call him Wally. Um, that was kind of his nickname. And Wally bought a, a house and started a ski school out on Lake Medina. Um, so when I was training at SeaWorld, when I really got fired up to be a pro tour competitor, when I was like, okay, I'm going to go for this. I want to be the best in the world. Um, I suffered some injuries because, you know, freestyle jumping can get a bit dangerous. And so SeaWorld started kind of curbing my ability to train, you know, after 
you know, sitting in the boat for a couple weeks here and there with a, a blown out knee or a sprained ankle or whatever the injury was, SeaWorld's kind of like, hey, man, you know, we're paying you to do ski shows, not, not train to be on the pro tour. So they were really starting to hamper my ability to train. So Mike Crandall Wally says, hey, I've got a ski jump out at my lake. Why don't you come out and we'll start training out here? So I would sneak out to Mike's and I'd go out on his lake. And that's where I really started um, concentrating on becoming the best that I could be. Um, we would set up sessions like we'd run them just like a pro tour event. I'd do my jump. He'd set me down on the water. We'd, we'd come back. Um, he'd set me down on the water again, just like we're waiting, you know, in a pro tour event. And, uh, that's, I think when I really started to excel and he would get so nitpicky with me and we'd video the sessions and, and I thought I just pulled off the most amazing jump ever. And he was like, nah, man, he goes, see when you did your handle pass here and this hand was all like back here he goes if you want to make it better when you do your handle passes the hands come out and you're square and you, you that's how you float down and so he just got really technical with me and it helped a lot you know um so that was that was a uh, a growing period for my freestyle jumping um when i got to florida uh dave briscoe kind of took us under his wing now dave raised a bunch of great jumpers he would take myself Zane Schwank, Gino Yockler, and we would all go over to his place at Ski Away, and he, again, he'd put us all head to head, you know, I mean, we were all friends, but make no mistake, when the skis came on, it was business, and so we, I'd go against Zane and Gino, like, every other day at Briscoe's, and he'd score us, and he'd say, all right, you know, you won this one, and you won that one, so we, we were literally having freestyle competitions all week long before we even got to the tour. And I think that was so valuable. Wow. Is it is it true that you were left foot forward, but you taught yourself to ski right foot forward just so you could do the back half? Yeah, that's true. That was that was a really <laughs> tough transition. Because <laughs> you bet. were a left-footed freestyler your whole life, but... For, yeah. for our listeners, a, a back half, when you're landing backwards, the right foot forward skiers have an advantage because you land open to the boat, not blind. Absolutely. It's nearly impossible left foot forward. Trust me, I tried. Yeah, right. <laughs> so so finally, I was like, all right, you know, if this is where the sport's going, I got I to gotta figure it out this way. But fortunately, by then, I was starting to land my one ski front mobs, so I didn't really concentrate too much on the, uh, on the back halves. But yeah, that was brutal. <laughs> yeah. That was so like, what, what would you say were your hallmark tricks, things that helped elevate you, uh, got, earned you points on tour stops and likewise, what were some tricks that gave you trouble? Well, I don't think I became a serious contender until I started nailing front mobs. You know, those were the years where I actually started winning tournaments and going neck and neck with, uh, Dave Reinhardt. Um, is that because Reinhardt was so good at the front mob and that's what helped him stand out above the rest? Yeah, that was it. For for years it was the front mob was, you know, his his ticket to the podium. Um and again, not comparing apples to oranges, but there is certain benefits for being left foot forward and certain benefits for being right foot forward. 
And, you know, without going into all the details, being left foot forward and trying to do front moves was really tricky. And if you go back and, and look at the videos, what Dave and I are doing that are both called front moves look completely different. It's huh. a whole different trick, right? So for me, I actually had to do a front flip with a full twist and then come out of a front flip. And Dave would do these wild things where he'd come off the ramp like sideways and backwards, you know, and always yeah. seem to pull it out. But, uh, you know, again, it, it's, it was just I, – I had to learn that trick if I wanted to contend. And so I think that was what kind of finally helped me start breaking into the, the top three spots. And make no mistake about it, your one-ski gainers and your one-ski moves were among the most beautiful – Long distance stick landings of Wait, anyone. No. Yep. Yeah. I I appreciate that, guys. Thank you. How long did it take you to learn the front mob? I mean, that's that's a trick that nobody is doing. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it, been a it long a, time since somebody's done one. It's a really hard trick, guys. Um, you know, and and I don't I don't want to. <laughs> I have to be careful what I say here. I don't want to discourage anyone, and I certainly don't want to inhibit the progress of freestyle jumping. But I can tell you this: that front mobs are a heck of a lot harder than doing a gainer and landing backwards. I mean, it's a whole different animal. Um, and you know, in that sense, when the judges started scoring the back half more than the front mob, I was kind of like, that that doesn't make sense because everybody knows. That, that this trick is way harder than this trick, you know? Mm -hmm. But uh, d learning front moves is uh, it's a commitment, um, mm -hmm. as is any freestyle jump. I mean, none of them are easy. I remember learning helicopters, and I thought, this is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But it's you just progress through it. You take it step by step. Uh, you take a couple good crashes here and there. Um, but you just don't give up. You know, that's that's the hallmark of any good freestyler. It'll be interesting to see, Adam, like as who, if anyone starts attacking front mobs in this current crop. I mean, so like Hank, the freestyle after the tour died, went into some dark days. Now it's having a, a revitalization. There's uh, these young guys, uh, more one ski mobs, a uh, couple, few guys doing uh, back halves, uh, front love it. halves. Um, and I love the, it. They're yep. getting after it, and they're doing doing incredible stuff. I wonder who, or if anyone is gonna is gonna go after the front mob. If that's gonna be next on the on the radar for I folks. would love to see that, guys. Because again, not trying to detract from anything else that's going on, but if if someone could pull off a front mob today, I would personally call them up and say, "Hey, dude, <laughs> I know what you just went through because it is no joke." Uh -huh. But um, touching on your your statement about the current affairs and freestyle jump. I'm, I'm seeing this. Is it the, is it the buck up tour or what's? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm watching this and I'm, I'm so impressed. Like these young guys are going for it. You know, I've been mm -hmm. talking a little bit with uh, Carter Buckman and, yep, yep. you know, trying to give him some, some uh, pointers here and there. But like you said, like just to see the enthusiasm for this sport come back, um, yep. is another reason why I'm, I'm stepping back in. I'm going to, you know, slowly start to, to make my, um, my insertion back into the show ski world. I'm moving down to Florida. I've got tired of LA 
Um, so I'm hoping to be uh, the oldest guy to ever do a one ski Mobius. Um, that's that's my life goal right now. Let's go. Uh, yeah, buddy. So I just said it here on <laughs> on on the podcast. So now I'm accountable. But uh, yep, the internet know, is I'm forever. St- it's out there, right, Hank? It's I'm out still there. in pretty good. I'm in good shape. Um, and I, I want to, I want to throw the, throw the jumpers back on and start getting back after it. That is awesome. That's so cool to hear. I'm sure everybody's going to be excited to hear that. I mean, yeah, it, it's so cool to see you now talk about this, getting back into it. And yes, these young guys, Carter and Derek Buckman, they're teammates of ours. They started this buck up tour. Carter's been yep. doing a phenomenal job. They have, they've had 10 plus guys competing at every tour stop this season, they they're uh, pushing distance because that got kind of lost over the last 20 years of freestyle as speeds have gotten slower. Distance has come down a little bit from your days there. Yep. They've got bonus points for uh, distance buoys. Guys are go- getting after it. Uh, Pete Haggerty's yep. crushing it back halves, uh, front halves. Uh, he's doing a cool trick, uh, a rewind, a 360 back to a 180, landing backwards. Um, cool stuff. So, oh, awesome! Yeah, awesome, so it, awesome. It, no, it, I, I love it, guys. I'm, I'm so impressed and so uh, supportive of these guys, um, just to see the sport come back around. Because I got to tell you, it blows my mind that I can turn on the television on a Saturday morning and watch cornholing championships. Freaking cornhole! <laughs> I'm, I'm watching guys throw a beanbag through a freaking hole, right? And I'm like. But they won't cover a freestyle jumping competition, like or yes. or water skiing for that matter. I'm like, what? Right. What? What in the world is going on? So, yeah, it's just one of my one of things that blows my mind. Like, how 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 do people not want to see this? It's amazing. So, just I, kudos to those guys for you know just making it happen and and creating their own yeah. opportunities. Before we transition to talking about your stunt career and your move there, I want to talk a little bit more about your ski career. You competed with Tampa. You went to nationals, didn't you? With I did. Tampa. Yeah. Uh, was that were you in the on the team in the 2000 nationals? No, I wasn't. No, you on were the 2000 nationals, yeah. I was um, way earlier, yeah. Yeah, you you were 91, 92 nationals maybe. That's that's it. Yep. Something like that. Um, that's cool. It's cool to to reminisce about all the big names on those old Tampa teams. Uh, you guys that all skied uh, for Tampa back then and competed and came to nationals. Those are fun shows to look back on. There's some YouTube clips. Uh, it's it's cool to see. I wanted to ask you too about you know with your Tampa days, the recent passing of Gary Stout. I know he was a friend of yours and and uh, a mentor and you knew him well. So I just wanted to kind of give you the opportunity to, to speak a little bit about Gary. Well, yeah, like you just said it, right. Um, Gary was probably one of the greatest ambassadors of show skiing, uh, that there ever was. Um, and I'm going to, excuse me. Sorry. Um, I'll just tell you this. When we were talking earlier about young people and show skiing and the gifts that they're given in terms of mentorship and learning life skills and all the things that have nothing to do with gliding across the water, Gary Stout embodies 
all of those things for what he did for me, right? Um, I owe that man so much for being a friend, a father figure, and an example of how a man should be. Gary was always that guy, um, and I miss him dearly. I'm very thankful that I was able to be there with him and my buddy John Summers. We were able to be there with Gary for his last couple of weeks here on Earth. And I have to tell you guys, the stories, the, the predominant course of discussion at Gary's house was always show skiing, tournaments, people that he'd met experiences that he'd had show skiing like this guy lived breathed and and ate show skiing and it was just beautiful to see him recount you know all these amazing things uh when he was uh getting ready for his transition um but i owe that guy so much and i'm gonna miss him dearly and i guarantee you there's a hundred gary stouts on all the other show ski show ski teams out there that are being mentors, father figures, examples for all these other young kids like me to look up to and to pattern themselves after. So I, I just love that man and I'll miss him. Thanks for sharing that. That's uh, yeah. it's powerful stuff and uh, yeah. great, great memories of Gary and, and uh, that uh, his memories are going to live on. Right. His legacy is going to live on in this sport forever, for sure. Well, before we transition, Adam, to uh, talk about Hank's stunt career, let's talk a little bit about Flyman Skis. You know, Hank skied on the most beautiful, badass, cool-looking kidder jump ski. Uh, we're going to share some <laughs> some pictures of that. It was awesome. But the name in skiing today in freestyle jumping is Flyman Skis. You want badass, cool-looking skis? Custom-designed Flyman jump skis. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, it's, and the best part is, you know, this goes back to the whole, what's great about show skiing is these skis are made by show skiers, right? Yeah. Jack and Nick, right? They started this, they started this business and, and friends uh, of Gary's. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, and here we are and they, they're making great stuff and freestyles making a comeback. And those, those freestyle guys are wearing flymans and swivels all over the place with feather boards. It's just, yeah, it's awesome. There's a flaunted swivel comp this weekend with like 20 some girls in multiple divisions. They are so many girls are riding a featherboard. We we've got a swivel clinic going on in Mad City this week. Featherboard swivels on the water. Get your custom made jump skis, featherboard swivel skis at flymanskis.com. That's flymanskis.com. Okay, now I know who I need to go to for my new one ski jumper. Gotcha. Hundred percent. Right. Yes. We'll hook you up. We we got I'll, we got a guy. I'll be I'll be wearing a flyman, guaranteed. And you All can right. make it the coolest looking one ski jumper ever. Yep. Perfect. Done deal. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna call Nick tonight. You'll be on it. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk about your stunt career. So you left show skiing. I want to set this up for our audience a little bit because if people don't know who this guy is or read bio on a, on the website. Uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but just reading your IMDb, you've been in over 100 movies, 109, 110 movies. You've been yeah. in some of the greatest movies ever made. 
Guardians of the Galaxy, Avatar, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Avengers, so many more. Your movies have amassed over $27 billion at the box office. Yeah. Dude. I wish I'd have gotten some of that. Like, <laughs> 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 the stunt guys don't get much of that, do they? We uh, do all right, but, you know, those, those go in yeah. the, the pockets of the producers. But, no, thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's been an absolute blessing, man. Um, I, again, I got to go back to show skiing, guys. I would have never taken this course in my life if it weren't for uh, when I was skiing at Cypress Gardens, Kim Zimmerman was one of our show skiers there. And Kim Zimmerman told me that her husband, John Zimmerman, is a stunt guy. And I was like, wait, hold on a second. That's a real job? Like, there's, I, I only thought that was, you see that in the movies. Like, there's real stuntmen? She goes, yeah. She goes, come to our house one day. So I go over to Kim Zimmerman's backyard, and guys, they have a high fall tower and a trapeze and a Russian swing and airbags, and they're setting people on fire. And I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. So I, I was very, very fortunate again. I don't know how all of this amazing stuff happened to me, um, knock wood, but uh, John Zimmerman kind of took me in and started training me how to do stunts. And the next thing you know, I'm working on commercials and television and movies. I got my SAG card, which is kind of a big deal. Um, so you can then start to work on the bigger films. Um, and I transitioned from show skiing at Cypress Gardens to doing a live stunt show at Universal Studios. And, you know, once I got in there, I was working with other stunt professionals that were actually going out and, you know, working on movies and TV. And it just opened up a whole new world for me in terms of what I what I could do. You know, I always wanted to be a professional athlete, um, but I was too slow to be in the NFL. So I figured, what else can I do? you know, to, to do fun, crazy, cool things and still earn a living. And, uh, and that's kind of how that all got started. Unreal. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know if you're aware, are you aware that other show skiers have wanted to follow in your footsteps or have done it? I mean, you know, Cheryl Bermeo, right? She, and, yeah. and you guys were, were partners in crime in that, but others that have followed you I, and you, you're probably well aware, Paul O'Connor, Yep. Now, Troy Roker, Seth yep. Fraze, uh, yep. a, a whole host of people that have gone from, made the transition from show skiing to stunt. 100%. And I love this. I've, I've helped all these guys, all the, all the names you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, I've hired all these guys on some of my shows. Um, Travis Voisard yeah. is another yep. great guy. I got, I got to tell you guys a quick story. You got a second to hear this yeah. story? Yeah. Okay, so I'm one of the stunt coordinators on Guardians of the Galaxy 3, right? And I hired Travis Voicehart to come and do a sequence with us. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but it's where the, the Guardians all land on this planet, and it's this planet of, like, mutant, half-animal, half-human people, right? Um, so Travis comes in. He's dressed up in this crazy – I don't even know what he was. He's some weird-looking furry animal creature, and the scene calls for when the Guardians land – you know, I don't know if you saw the movie, but Drax throws the ball and hits this little girl. And next thing you know, the Guardians are under attack. So Travis is on set that day. Now, mind you, James Gunn is the director. James Gunn is a very particular individual. He doesn't really say thank you that much. He doesn't ever compliment the stunt department. I was on this movie for five months and never once got an attaboy, right? So Travis Voicehart shows up. 
and James Gunn goes, all right, everybody, here's what I need you to do. When the, when the Guardians do this, you guys all take off and you freak out. So cut to, and they say, action. Travis takes off running, and there's one stop sign on the whole street, right? The metal pole with the stop sign on it. He takes off running full speed and shoulder clips this stop sign. It does like this gnarly back half and lands on his face. And then he gets up, and he tries to hide behind the stop sign, the metal pole. So he's, he's sitting there and he's, you know, six foot two, you know, in this animal costume and he's trying to hide behind a two inch pole. Right. And I'm watching this like, Oh my God, I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. Cut to and cut. James Gunn comes out of his tent where all the monitors are. And he literally goes like this. He's like, Oh my God. Who is that guy? Who's in, who's that guy in that furry right there holding the briefcase? And I'm like, that's that's Travis. And he goes, that was awesome. That was incredible. That was literally so great. And I'm looking at Travis like, you son of a – this guy's never said two nice words to me. And you, you just got an attaboy from James Gunn, you know. But awesome. it was it was just beautiful. So yeah, all all these kids that are coming up uh, with the Shosky background, they're all incredible. I mean, look, show skiing makes you tough, right? There's no doubt about it. You you have to be able to take a beating. It also makes you a great teammate. You have to know how to work well with others. It also teaches you how to take direction. You know, when you're listening to your show director, there's so many characteristics from show skiing that are so, you know, prevalent in the stunt world that show skiers make the greatest stunt people ever. They really do. And I'm just so glad to see all these young kids coming up and doing it. How long were you doing stunts before you transitioned to a stunt coordinator? Right. So I was probably in the business for about five years um, before I got my first coordinating gig. And I was listed as stunt coordinator on the call sheet, but I had no idea what I was doing. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you guys, I, I literally, there's no way I was going to say no, but knowing what I know now and, and back then knowing what I did not know, I had no business being a stunt coordinator. Um, that was, that was one of my first movies cut to about 10 years down the road where I actually understood the responsibilities and what, what the job actually entailed. I'd say one of my first what I could really call a coordinating job was uh, the very first Avengers. Mm, oh, yeah. So I coordinated awesome. the original. Yep. The Avengers. And that was uh, such a great experience on so many different levels. I met the love of my life on that movie. All right. Yeah. That's awesome. Did you, so like when you were actively stunting and, and heavy in the stunt side prior to the coordinating side, do you have any favorite stunts or favorite movies, favorite actions that you took part in? Oh man, there's been so many great ones, but one of the one of the best uh, experiences that stands out with me is um, Matrix Two, mm. Matrix Reloaded. Um, I don't know if anyone can remember these old movies, but uh, there was a scene where the bad guy, Agent Smith, transforms and turns into a hundred or plus more of himself. And what that really was is that was me and 11 other guys that learned that fight sequence on, if you can imagine a piece of a pie, 
we'd shoot this piece of the pie with us 12, 12 stunt guys knowing all this choreography and doing all of these fight beats. And then we'd shift over to the next piece of the pie. And that was still us 12 guys doing all the fight beats. And then we go to the next piece of the pie. So we'd shoot it in quarters. And it took us two and a half weeks to film that fight scene, wow. um, which is unheard of these days. You don't, yeah. you don't even, you don't hear that. That's an exceptionally long time to shoot a fight. We trained for it for two and a half months. So all day, every day, two and a half months, we're in the gym with Keanu and we're working out all the beats. And when we ended up shooting the scene, um, it was incredible. When I, when I still go back and look at it today, I'm like, wow, that, that was a really impressive thing that we did. But what made it extra special was after, you know, the two and a half months of training and the two and a half weeks of shooting it, we were all just beat up, tired. Everyone's got, you know, uh, uh, super glued tape, all their cuts and splits. And we were, we were beat to hell. And Keanu comes in to the gym where we were all training and he says, hey, guys, I want to talk to you guys for a second. And we're all sitting in there, it's all 12 of us. And he goes, that was literally the greatest experience of my career. He goes, that fight wow. scene that we just shot and we all trained for, um, it's the highlight of my career. And I want to say thank you. Can you guys come outside? And we're like, yeah, sure. So we all walk outside of the gym. And there is a Bartels Harley Davidson semi st sitting out of there with 12 identical Harley Davidson Dynaglide motorcycles all just stacked up next to the thing. He bought he you all Harleys? He bought us all Harleys and started throwing out keys. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah. So Keanu bought me a Harley, which I have to this day. I'll never get rid of it. Um, but that was that was such a great experience, not just because – how hard we worked to make that fight scene happen, but just the fact that Keanu is such an exceptional human and gave us that gift that I'll, I'll cherish forever. Amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. You've, I'm sure you've worked with some amazing people. I, I have to ask my daughter, Riley <laughs> is, she's going to kill me, but uh, she's going to be 15 and she wants to know if you've met Tom Holland. Cause she has a major crush on that Spider-Man. I am so embarrassed to say that I have not. <laughs> I'm so sorry to your daughter, but I'll go. I'll go out of my way to meet him when I can. <laughs> I've, I've never That's had fun. the opportunity, but I can tell you this: is that you know it's a very small circle that we run in. And I heard yeah. that he is just absolutely incredible, just a great person all the way around. Cool. I, I have friends that have doubled him on the Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Do you have favorites that you've worked with? Favorite favorite actors. Uh, guys that, that just, like you mentioned the Keanu story, are there others that you just love working with? Yeah, I've seen some incredible acts of kindness and grace uh, throughout my career. And I've also seen some horrific acts of selfishness mm -hmm. and um, just bad behavior. Um, but what, what stands out with me, and this is probably going to surprise people, but I have to tell this story Johnny Depp has gotten so much bad publicity, right? The whole yeah. Amber Heard deal and all these things. Yeah. I can tell you guys firsthand, that guy is as amazing as they get. Mm -hmm. And if, if we have time for a quick story, I'll tell you. If not, Go I'll just it. leave it at that. No, we got well, all day. Okay, so I'm shooting this movie called uh, Public Enemies, and it's the John yep. Dillinger story. And I was doubling the co-star. Um, oh, I'm going to kill myself here. Jace... Uh, can't even remember the actor's name. Anyway, it's not important. The co-star of the film, 
So I'm, I'm on this film with, you know, all these guys for months and months. And we're shooting in um, Manaqua, Wisconsin, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that, yeah. it, that's where the lodge was, right? Yeah. Where, where, uh, yeah, the, it, was on a, it was on a chain of lakes. Yep. Yeah. So we were at the actual lodge where the big Dillinger shootout happened. And, guys, it was freezing. I'm talking middle of winter, mm-hmm. sub-zero temps. We're out there all night long recreating this shootout. Um, and the crowds that would gather back at base camp where hundreds of people would come out to just to get a glimpse of Johnny Depp. And one night, one of the coldest nights we had, we literally would shoot all night. We'd come back to base camp at like six in the morning and we'd all, you know, try to warm up and then we'd head home and sleep all day to get ready for the next night. And one night there was a mom and her three daughters that literally camped out outside of our, our base camp and stayed all night long just to get a look at this guy. Right. So I'll never forget. I'm right behind Johnny. He's in his, you know, fancy SUV, and I'm in one of the crew vans, you know, lowly stunt guy. And so we we pull past this family, and they're screaming and hollering, and Johnny's SUV pulls past him, and then it stops. And it backs up. And the door opens. And the mom and these three girls hop in. The door closes, and what transpired after that just warms my heart. And this is only one example of the kind of uh, just graciousness that this guy exudes right so he took this whole family back to his big huge trailer that he's got you know a big fancy you know million dollar motorhome was giving them all hot chocolate got on the phone with all their friends made videos da 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 just literally spent like 40 or 50 minutes with this family to say thank you for waiting all night i really appreciate you Wow. You know, and and that just wasn't wasn't just a one off occurrence. Like huh. there were so many amazing things. But then when you look at TMZ or when you watch the news, they paint him in such a such a bad light. And I'm like, oh, man, you guys have no idea. Like this guy's about as good as they get. You wow. know, great story. Yeah. So you you mentioned you moved to Florida. You don't. My understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is is you don't need to be in L.A. for some of this stuff. A lot of stuff happens in Atlanta and New Orleans, correct? I've talked to Paul O'Connor about about that. Uh, are you still actively stunt coordinating? What's the future hold for Hank? What What's that look like? What are, What's going on in your world now? Well, that's right. So I'm actually speaking to you gentlemen from my uh, place here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, mm. So recently I actually sold my home in Redondo Beach, California. My wife and I have moved um, so we're we're fully right now we're residents of Atlanta and we're purchasing a home down in St. Petersburg, but uh, I got my pilot's license, um, so I'll be flying back and forth from Florida up to Atlanta where most of the filming happens. I mean this yeah. is where we make all the Marvel movies now, so yeah, we don't need to live in L.A. anymore. And I I finally told my wife I was like I don't want to be here anymore. She's like well let's get the hell out of here. So, yeah, we're here in Atlanta working and uh, soon to be Floridians again. Sweet. And you're getting back into show skiing. You heard it here first. Yes. You know, show you skiing still it. doesn't pay very well. I mean, you know that, <laughs> You know right? what, guys? Here, here's the deal. I owe it so much that I, it's time for me to pay show skiing, okay? Mm. I'm, not, I'm not expecting payment. I'm trying to give payment back, and that's the truth. That's incredible. Yep. Wow. Hank, this uh, is one of the best we've had. Dude, this is so good. We thank you for yes. sharing your story, all your stories. 
Uh, it's been so fun catching up with you, and our listeners are going to absolutely love this. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Guys, again, I'm honored uh, beyond belief that you would have me. Um, I love what I'm seeing in the sport. Again, back to these these young kids and their freestyle tour. Um, I I just can't get it. I, I'm so impressed. Um, anything I can do to help, please let me know. Um, like I said, I've been in touch with Carter, but if anybody else wants to chat, please look me up. Um, and thank you guys so much for doing this and keeping the sport of show skiing alive. Thank you. Thank you, man. Is that the best interview we've ever had on this show, Adam? Uh, listen, I have never met Hank before, and the only thing I knew about him that he was a freestyle jumper, and we just spent, you know, 60 minutes with the guy, and he might be one of my favorite people. <laughs> just the, the emotion and passion and the places he's been and the love he has and zest for life and for show skiing. And my favorite thing is that this is a guy who left water sports and went into a stunt career, moved out west, and was essentially out of the water sports game for so long, and he owes his life to show skiing and to freestyle jumping, and he is going to get back in the game because of that, and his reflection on that is so powerful. I, Yeah, I, I can't get over how good I just – I could listen to that guy for days. It just is awesome. And I, tell you, I tell you what, he's not the first guy to mention about the rental cars on the pro tour. Nope. And every time I hear that, I think about, and I'm dating myself here, I think about the Days of Thunder movie with Tom Cruise <laughs> when the manager of the race tour makes those two guys go to dinner together and they each rent a car and just beat the crap out of those things. Yeah. By the time they get there, there's nothing left of them. Well, it's <laughs> going to be awesome. I hope our, our show ski community here – uh, really enjoys catching up with Hank and hearing his story, and and uh, I hope we all see Hank reacquainted in show skiing, and we see him at a, a tournament or a clinic or something in the near future because it sure sounds like he wants to get back involved, which is awesome. Let's uh, talk a little bit about our friends at the board shop, Adam. Uh, you know, summer is rolling. They've got so much stuff. I've been following their Instagram, the boards they have and the gear. They're fully stocked. Great deals. You got to get to their shop in Lake Geneva or you got to get on the web and order your stuff. Board shop has it all. Absolutely. Both summer and winter. It's run by show skiers. Uh, the shop is awesome if you can get down to Lake Geneva. But of course, if you don't have the time because you're always at practice or doing shows, you can get your stuff at bswake.com. We are off through the 4th of July. We're actually going to take an extra week off instead of our regular uh, every uh, two weeks uh, of an episode. We're going to come back in three weeks. So you're going to see our next episode on July 12th. Uh, we'll be uh, heavy into tournament season there. And so uh, listen for us next on July 12. Thanks again to all of our listeners making us the number five ranked podcast in the water sports genre. Thanks again. This is Matt and Adam, and this is The Ski Show. Thank you for listening to The Ski Show, the ultimate show ski podcast with Matt and Adam. We're the only show specifically dedicated to all things show ski. 
If you have feedback or ideas for future shows, hit us up on social media or email us at the ski show podcast at gmail.com. <laughs>